Uh, I'm going to start by reading through the chapter. Um, it is a reasonable length, so just bear with me, but I think it's good to have that overall context when I start talking about the individual elements or kind of all, hopefully, all, all pieced together. So you might want to um, pull your Bible out for this one, because I've got some, all like, it's quite a few verses actually. Um, so, Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servant the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what the dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell the servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they, not, do not, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Talk about a pretty massive uh, reaction to this. Um, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon... Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? 
Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to, to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Thanks for um, staying with me as we went through that. I think it's really good to get that overall picture. A lot of us will be familiar with this story. We've heard the story of the, the dream and the statue before. Um, and interesting, there's a lot of different things you can pull out of this chapter. So I've had to kind of 
decide where I'm going to go today and what things I'm going to hone in on. Um, and hopefully there'll be things that um, will be really helpful for you this morning uh, as we go through that. Um, so there's, there's three main themes that I'm going to be looking at. And it's the theme of guidance, trust and sovereignty. Um, each of them quite quite big in their own right. Um, and as we go through, you'll see how those kind of come through in the, the passages we're talking about. So, first up, seeking God's guidance. Um, I found it really interesting to see the, the process that Daniel went through um, when he found out about his uh, upcoming execution. Um, and we read here, uh, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Um, and it's interesting that he was equipped, ready, right in the moment to actually speak what he needed to speak um, and it's actually a really um, powerful thing sometimes in our lives we'll have these moments we don't have time to go and think about things and process it and get ourselves where we need to be um, sometimes we're, we're on the spot um, and there's, there's two principles I was thinking about in, in this context about what helped Daniel um, the first is um, and you probably guess this one is the Holy Spirit so sorry, sorry. yeah um, the Holy Spirit guides us um, and we see this throughout um, the New Testament when the Holy Spirit came down and um, was actually encouraging and giving people the words to speak. You can um, think of Stephen the martyr, you can think of a few examples of Peter. We recently went through Acts um, so we actually looked at a lot of those examples where the Holy Spirit was actually um, inspiring people to speak at a different time. So there's, there's uh, that element to it um, when we kind of have something come towards us we need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Um, the other thing which I think is really important here, and we see this in Daniel, is the diligence that he showed in nurturing the gifts that God provided him. Um, we see a bit of this in chapter 1, but he was diligent in his studies, that he didn't just um, kind of have these natural gifts that he put to the side and didn't do anything with, that he interpreted dreams, it says in chapter 1, that he actually did this on a regular basis, that he was um, studying hard when he was in the king's service. Um, when he came to this defining moment, he wasn't just unprepared, I've never done this before, I've got to somehow do something now. He actually spent his whole life preparing. And I think it's a really important principle uh, for us that we develop those. And we can look at examples in the Bible, ones that kind of jumped out to me. You can think of someone like King David, who spent many years as a shepherd, um, shepherding sheep, something really plain and boring um, but it was it was important it actually built the character he needed for later in his life when he was to become king um, Jesus himself spent a lot of time preparing to become to go into ministry so he spent the first 30 years preparing himself um, so it's this really important thing not to think just about these big moments but there's this whole lifetime of preparation that goes into it um, so the ne next thing that um, Daniel did, he, he had his in the moment and he managed to buy himself a little bit of time. And immediately, um, we read next, that then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Um, see how critical that prayer is here and he wasn't just himself doing it he was actually bringing on people around him and it was lovely to do our little um, prayer session this morning and um, think that we've got such a blessing here in this congregation here you can look around and see all these lovely people here that um, 
there actually a lot of people here who would be really happy to pray with you. Um, no, I can go and ask. I'd be very surprised if I was to ask anyone to pray for me that they would say, like, nah, Matthew, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, and we see this example here that it was, it was a big deal um, for Daniel and he, he got those around him who got a place in his life to pray for him. Um, then what happened is that um, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And Daniel praised the God of heaven. So after he had done this, after he had prayed to God, he had brought his friends on, God revealed himself. He actually came through. Um, and thinking on my own life, I definitely find that it's something that I can say is true of God, that he, he does come through when we seek him. And this has really challenged me because often we forget to do the seeking God part. Um, I'm a very kind of analytical person by nature and I'll... When I've got decisions in life, I want to go through all these different things and line everything up, do the numbers, um, look at the pros and cons, weigh it up and do all this stuff. And it's not a bad thing. It's actually, there is a place for that. Um, but we also need to seek God in these things. Um, and when we seek God, that's when he will actually answer us. So the challenge for me and for you as well is that when we're making these big decisions in our life, are we actually seeking God in it? And there's been something this week for me been going through some um, some changes and I caught myself just going down this analytical route and I'd actually kind of put God a little bit further down the list on that one. Um, it's, it's really easy to do but it's really critical that we, we go through and when we're actually having these things come up on us um, in our life we've got to make decisions to actually seek God in this um, and we know from the Bible that he does deliver. Um, so, in, in summary of this point, we're basically saying that in the moment when there's immediate need, Daniel used wisdom and tact, um, and we can get that from the Holy Spirit and through a life that's, um, we're actually developing the, the gifts and ability that God has given us and um, practising for these things. Um, and then, as soon as he was able, he prayed and he got his friends around him to pray as well, um, and then God provided. Um, the, the next thing I saw here which I found really jumped out to me was this concept of trust in God. It's um, really hard to do when you've um, got such a big thing. Their lives are at stake here. This is, this is no small, small deal. Um, and sometimes we can actually put it in a bit of a vacuum and kind of think of trust as these big, huge moments and not actually realise that trust actually comes in a process. It's um, a bit like that, that developing the skills that God has given us um, that I was talking about before. Um, so we see that um, Daniel put enormous faith in his God. Ooh, sorry. Uh, by agreeing to interpret the king's dream, but he had reason to have faith. And I want to jump back to Daniel chapter 1 here, which we looked at last week. Um, Daniel had actually already tested his faith. He had gone up, and something which, on the face of it, the stakes were much lower. He was not going to be executed for it that we know of. Um, potentially uh, would have lost a lot of face, and it would have been um, a bit embarrassing if it hadn't worked. But he had actually trusted God in, in these other moments. And if we look at our own lives, in order to trust God in those big moments, we actually have to trust God in the small moments. Um, and it, these kind of smaller moments, it's, it's important not to underestimate how big a deal it is as well. Um, 
if you think about it, they were in a foreign land, they were living with people who killed and enslaved their nation. Uh, their Jewish identity was at risk of being lost forever. They'd been stripped away from their land and just major things going on. So even these small steps of faith were actually really critical um, in, that, in that time. They were in a land steeped in paganism. Um, they, they surely would have been ridiculed for believing in one God only. Um, and you can think of it today that we don't get ridiculed for one God only, but in a way we do. There's the pervading uh, thought of the masses is atheism now, and we've got one God more than uh, what people like to, to think of. And we can get ridiculed for that. Um, and it's really important to look at these things and saying that they actually chose to trust God and actually stand up for what they believe to be true here. Um, a few things that came out to me as I was kind of thinking of this concept of trusting God, which we, we see here. So um, what first one is obviously reading God's word. If we read his word, we, we know more about the character of God and that gives us reason to trust him. Um, there's this uh, verse here, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Um, as we read through the word, we get to know more about the character of God. And the more we know about the character of God, the stronger our trust is in him because we know that he is solid and that we can trust him. Um, do as Daniel did, trust him in the smaller things. Um, and still, still quite big, but um, you, you build up. If you can't trust God in these smaller things in life, what hope do we have when we come to these really big key moments in our life where we really have to step out and trust him? Um, and then understand and accept that God is sovereign um, and that's, that's a huge part of trusting God and conveniently it's my next point as well um, so sovereignty of God this is a pretty massive one of what um, massive part of this scripture um, and pretty exciting really um, we look at this verse up here um, where Daniel's talking to King and saying the God of heaven is giving you dominion and power and might and glory he's talking to the uh, king of Babylon here um, and it's so clear in this passage that God is in control. So sovereign is this concept of God is in control of what's happening. And I've got a, got a list of a few um, things there, um, kind of empires and things that have come up, and you see them both in the Bible and, um, you know, over the last couple of thousand years. So you think of the pharaohs of Egypt when Israel was there. God was in control. He, he managed to deliver his people from the pharaohs. Um, you see King Cyrus of Persia, which is one of my personal favourites, and you see he doesn't believe in God, um, believe in gods. Um, and despite that, God's heavily using him to accomplish his will. He ends up releasing many of these exiles back to um, Judah and allowing them to rebuild their temple and doing these, these amazing things that were part of God's plan. Um, thinking of the destruction of the temple that Jesus prophesied about. Um, he knew what was happening. He was in control. God was controlling this and thinking of more recent examples and you can think of the Emperor Constantine. Imagine being in ancient Rome, just steeped in paganism and then having this miraculous conversion of the, the emperor and suddenly he's saying, oh, it's actually okay to, to worship the God of your choosing and we're not going to send you to the lions or imprison you and torture you and all that and just get this thing which would have been inconceivable to the people living at the time that such a dramatic change could happen in such a short space of time 
Um, and then you see um, the Thousand Year Reich, um, the Nazis in World War II, um, seemingly unstoppable at the time, but they were stopped. Um, and you see this throughout all of history, both in the Bible and the future, and it's really clear in the Bible, if we look at Revelation, that God's sovereignty doesn't stop at the end of the New Testament, that he's actually got plans up to the end of the, the world as we know it, um, which is really um, comforting um, that we know that God is, God is there. Um, find today it's really easy to be fearful of what's happening in the world. Um, and I think we need to remind ourselves of this concept of God's sovereignty. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. Look at Daniel. He's, he's stuck in exile amongst this pagan culture that, um, away from his, his friends and family, his nation is on the brink of ruin and complete annihilation. And despite that, he's, we're actually seeing right here in the middle of all these things happening that God is sovereign. Um, and we can look around us today and feel like oh, the world's getting worse, we're drifting away from Christian values, um, and we can be fearful and um, downcast about it. But that's not the message that we get in Daniel. Um, we actually know that God is sovereign. Um, we know that things are going to go a certain way in the end times. Um, it may be now, soon, it may be many years away, we don't know. Um, but it doesn't actually change the underlying fact that God is sovereign um, and he is actually directing these things. Uh, which actually leads us on very nicely to... Oh, sorry, no, got, got ahead of myself, sorry. Got to backtrack. Um, to, to talk more about these... Um, got, to, got to talk about the, the dream. I can't really talk about Daniel 2 and not talk about the statue. Um, so... Um, Um, so it says in Daniel 2, 31-33, Your Majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. Now, there is occasional discussion about exactly which empires are, um, are represented here. I've kind of gone with the... The, the consensus on this one. So you've got Babylonia and Nebuchadnezzar as the empire, the, the head of gold, and then Persia and the Medes as the empire of silver. Um, Greece, the empire of bronze, which is very fitting because they uh, were right bang in the middle of the Bronze Age there. And you've got Rome, which is known for its use of iron and it became very strong. Um, and then Rome fragmented and kind of kept going and then broke into smaller things. Everyone was trying to keep Rome together and saying, yes, we're still Rome, but it was really falling apart. And you see this concept of the, the splintered empire, this, um, the, the baked clay and the, the iron on the feet. Um, and, and through this, this is just going straight to that point of God's sovereignty, that um, he knows all this, and it's all actually his plan too. And we, we know that because the, the next part of this is about this stone that's cut out. So it says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 
This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. Uh, Daniel, like us, was in uncertain times, but we actually have this wonderful promise here, um, which we can now see really clearly that this is the promise of Jesus. Um, would have been hard to understand at the time, but now that we've had the New Testament, it's, it's quite, quite amazing what we see here. And I love the metaphor of the stone. Um, stone's pretty humble. You, you see the statue that's made of these costly metals and gold and silver and bronze. Um, stone is, you see it all over the place, and it's, it's, it's humble. Um, and that's the way that Jesus came to us. So Jesus was born as a baby, grew up as a carpenter in this just backwater on this tiny country and on the corner of the Mediterranean. Um, but it was amazing. This thing actually toppled empires and still does. It has this amazing impact um, globally. And then it turned, talks about it growing to take over, uh, grow across the entire earth. And that's what we're seeing today. We can see God's kingdom, and it's not in its entirety now. We see, we see part of it. We know that God's kingdom will grow even more um, but this humble stone coming here Jesus came here as a person and we see that Jesus is referred, referred to as the cornerstone um, and we just sang about that um, just before um, that Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders rejected is what the scripture says um, when he came down here his, his impact has been amazing and it's actually beyond just what empires is actually this stone is cut out from somewhere else and it's actually not of this world and Jesus came from beyond the world and has come and I just 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 love the the imagery here and there's so many ways you can look at it um, so Jesus came he he died on a cross and the impact he had didn't just stay in Israel it's gone and we can see it around us um, and it impacts every every country on the planet today and it's, just, just really exciting. Um, so to, to summarise, I think the really important thing is to rest in the sovereignty of God. It's not a promise that bad things won't happen, um, but it's a, it's a promise that God does work through it all. Um, you see God working through Daniel in these pretty harsh circumstances, and he actually did more than Daniel could possibly imagine in those circumstances as well. So to summarise, we've got guidance, trust and sovereignty. So we learned a, a principle about seeking guidance from God, about working with the Holy Spirit and um, developing the skills and the gifts that God has given us. Um, and then praying, praying together with the people around us and then waiting expectantly for the answer that God will give us. Then we learned about trust um, and needing to, to trust God in these... Um, uh, pretty pretty difficult circumstances where um, you've got these really big things happening and the really important principle of we actually need to develop trust throughout our life. We can't just wait for those moments and hope for the best that when the, the big, big things come that somehow we'll be able to get that trust we need. It's really important to, to build it along the way. And then finally, sovereignty of God. We don't have to fear what's happening in the world. We're not scared. We're, we're part of a kingdom that is beyond that. It's going to never end. The kingdoms of this world will rise and fall. We've seen that through our history. It continues to happen. But we're part of a kingdom that doesn't rise and fall. It's, it will go on forever.
And with that, um, hopefully you can uh, go into your week and just um, ponder on some of these things and, and be encouraged. Um, God is sovereign.